ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops. Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proops, zooms from the surface of the earth into the ether to bring you delight and delectation from all the far reaches of the galaxy where we will visit all the souls who are swirling in heaven and give them their due and once again join us here amongst those who are present in your life and give them what for. It's all about that and it's all about you. The Proopcast is taken to the air. If you're listening out in Proopcast land this is an awesome time to lie about a golf score or to, to, to fudge a half-truth with a friend because really, what are confidences but things that are to be uh, amplified on later. That's all I can say. Um, we have a very concentrated crowd here tonight in Hollywood. Uh, it's just me and Jennifer and a couple of people we know hanging out at what can only be described as the Bar Lubitsch across the street from the pleasure chest where Slarch is almost coming to it, lurching to its uh, inevitable conclusion as it always does, shuddering and staggering along the way, uh, like after you urinate and you dance about for a few moments. Uh, that was for the men, the women I don't think dance about, uh, although you may squirm uncomfortably if you wish, um, and like that. So uh, once again, we're joined up here, and what a night it is. Uh, uh, we received gifts, of course, Lewis, uh, a fellow San Franciscan in Los Angeles, who has been a staunch uh, friend, if not complete Viking about this show, uh, in so much as he's boarded it willfully many times. Uh, both the, uh, the Greg Proops Film Club, which as you know, uh, this weekend, if it, for the people in this room, uh, will uh, be at the uh, Turner Classic Movie Festival. We're going to show Saturday night, uh, Adam's Rib, uh, by the fat, uh, directed by George Cooker, written by Ruth Gordon and Garson Kanan, starring Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Uh, Jennifer picked it out. I thought it was an awesome choice uh, for the Turner Classic Movie Festival. Um, Spencer Tracy will be there uh, to talk about the movie beforehand. Uh, and Ruth Gordon uh, is going to appear in what can only be described as a flaming blancmange above the stage. Uh, where she'll be giving you the cutes from beyond the beyond because uh, that's what Ruth Gordon did. Ruth Gordon uh, was born in the 19th century, won an Oscar in 1970, 69, Rosemary's Baby. I won't tell you. Go, go on YouTube and watch Ruth Gordon's acceptance speech because it's groovy. And then they asked her, how do you feel after she won it? They went, you're 75 or whatever. And she went, I feel groovy. Um, if you've ever seen Rosemary's Baby and uh, say you have a weekend that you don't want to feel good about, uh, and you want to feel unsettled the whole weekend. <laughs> Rosemary's Baby is a great way to start because Mia Farrow, who's basically the Gwyneth Paltrow of the 60s, um, <laughs> is in the movie playing a moon-eyed, moon-calf waif who uh, 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 her husband makes a deal. Her husband is John Cassavetes, uh, who's playing a, 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 an ambitious actor type who's really good looking. And next door in the building lives um, Ray Moland and uh, Ruth Gordon. And Ruth Gordon comes over all the time and intrudes in their lives. It turns out the whole building is Satanist. Uh, I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but Mia Farrow uh, uh, gives birth to the devil's baby. And I think that might have just blown the end. But the point is this. <laughs> There's a couple of memorable scenes in the movie, and that's why Ruth Gordon won the Oscar. She comes over and she goes, I've made a chocolate mouse. Why don't you try the chocolate mouse? And she says mouse a thousand times. And I remember seeing it at the uh, Synespia over at the cemetery at Hollywood Forever here. We live in Los Angeles in a world of movies, by the way. In case you thought there was something called reality that was encroaching into my life, uh-uh. I have buffeted myself with books, movie, and Negro League baseball players. One has only but to enter the Porpoise of Fruititude to see uh, that the walls are coated uh, with the memorabilia and uh, uh, basically, uh, like, if R. Crumb wasn't creepy and couldn't draw, I would kind of be like him. <laughs> 
Except I don't watch everything in black and white. Sometimes I watch colorized stuff. Um, in any case, uh, 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 we, we were uh, Ruth Gordon uh, says mouse a thousand times, and we were watching it at the uh, Sinespia out of the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which is a glorious place to see a picture. It used to be when it first started; it was great because it was like me and Jennifer and a bunch of other lunatics in a cemetery watching movies at night. Now, golly, you have to get in line way early and stuff. Uh, I saw their new calendar came out. I think they're showing Vertigo and then some eighties junk. They've been leaning on the eighties heavy. Uh, but anyways, uh, you sit outside and the film is projected up against the side of a mausoleum and in in order to make your way to the uh, where they're showing the picture, you have to pick your way through. Well, you don't pick your way. I mean, it's, it's a cemetery. So there's tens of thousands of people there. There's souls everywhere, including, fantastically, Johnny Ramone and Rudolph Valentino. Now, they're not in the same tomb together, but that would have been tremendous. Johnny Ramone has a statue over his of him uh, windmilling, right, uh, playing guitar. Johnny, guitar. Johnny Ramone was, I almost said Johnny Guitar Watson, was the Ramones of the Ramones. But what I meant was Johnny Ramone uh, was the guitarist of the Ramones and probably didn't even know Johnny Guitar Watson. And if he did, they would have disagreed on politics. I can assure you of that. <laughs> Although they both would have agreed that Henry Ann was certainly a credit. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, his statue's there. And you can go into the uh, mausoleum that's toward the front and see Valentino and Art Pepper and I'm getting a million people. There's a million famous people buried there, but you have to pluck your way along the sidewalks and not walk on the graves. And then you sit in an area. You don't sit on the graves. If you did, it would be like the movie Return of the Living Dead 2. And uh, the, uh, they would be popping out of the graves when the dust landed on them and what. And then Linnea Quigley would get up and do a naked punk dance with a mohawk on. Because that's what movies were about in those days. Uh, it's the uh, 40th, 40, 30th anniversary of The Breakfast Club, I think, was it? Uh, this year. It came out in 85. And um, any movie that ends with a freeze frame of Judd Nelson throwing a fucking fist in the air is okay by me. That's all I have to say. And two other words, sheedy, and the other word, ringwald. 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 What the fuck was her name? Ringwald? Molly Ringwald. Uh, if anybody remembers when uh, Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub were manageable, Instead of the giant Hollywood entities they are now, um, that was a joke. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be uh, doing uh, footnotes on all my material tonight because I feel like it's important that the people listening uh, with buds on or they're making tea. I did bust someone this week. I said last week that people listened that were white bourgeois people when they were jogging, and a guy sent me a picture from his phone as he was listening to the show of him on a jogging path. And uh, so I, I, I know my white people. Uh, <laughs> that I want you to know that when I say slanderous horrible things like Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub were manageable that was supposed to be with humorous and affection and uh, uh, affectionate and humorous intent as in so much as I know Rob and I know Dan and uh, they're very lovely and very funny and talented and they deserve everything they've gotten here in this town except for being more successful than me at this juncture but the point is this <laughs> Um, no, they, they, they did, a, they did a, chan, a thing called Channel 101 that was uh, fantastically funny. And one of the shows on Channel 101 was called, what was it, Molly and Ringwald? Uh, and it was this, they were a horse and a fucking, what was the, what was Ringwald? And they were like a horse and a beaver or something. And they just had stupid adventures. And it was because they'd never seen the movie Fresh Horses. So they named the entire thing after Molly Ringwald's genre. And one of the episodes is called Fresh Horses. And it's a diner that serves fresh horse. Um, I always thought it was funny. Perhaps describing other comedians' material poorly isn't the best way to kick off this proof cast. Maybe we should jump right into the shit I've prepared. Shit, I haven't prepared anything. 
That's going to bring things up to a screeching fucking... I'm going to read from the book, but it's a little early in the day. Uh, but anyway, the Sinespe is a great place to see pictures. And I think they show pictures in every town outdoors now. I, I don't think I've been in a place in the last few years that they don't have an outdoor film program. And where, where were we, Jennifer, just when they were showing a, a kid's picture? And it was like... Uh, it wasn't Willy Wonka, but it was something a little more dreary. It was a musical... No, we weren't in London. I don't know. It was in, it was in Santa Barbara or somewhere. They, they were showing outdoor m- movies like part of the museum uh, and whatnot. Uh, here, let's get into the errata um, addendums, Eric Estrada, and otherwise uh, fix this motherfucker. Um, I was uh, talking about Albert Maisel and his brother David last week on the show. It's not Maisley. Um, I have a unique way of pronouncing things. That is so much as I mispronounce everything. I have spent three days uh, in a recording booth in Van Nuys, California, uh, over the last three days, recording my book onto tape. So in order to answer your question, those of you who have been furiously tweeting and emailing me, yes, I will be reading my book on tape. Sadly, Jeremy Irons was not available. Um, although if he'd read the intro, I think that would have made the book a lot better. Hooray, hurrah. Uh, look what you've done. Good for you. Uh, in any case, uh, 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 I realize now, after three days in a recording booth, I've been pronouncing the word enmity wrong my entire life, and that I can't pronounce it correctly. Uh, we had to piece it together. Uh, yeah, we did. We had to piece it together like Marlon Brando's singing in the movie Guys and Dolls, which brings me back to Albert Maisel. Last night, Jennifer and I were watching an Albert and David uh, Maisel documentary uh, from 66 called Meet Marlon Brando. And he was doing a junket for, I don't know which bloody movie came out in 66, a Hollywood one. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was, it was a, uh, it had a sexy cast, too. It was... Yule yeah, Yule Brenner and him. Moratoria, it's called. No one's ever seen it. And uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, the Maisels have such a wonderful style with the cameras right in his face. I don't know how they got this fucking close. There's millions of journalists there. And you see the journalists eating and smoking and drinking in the background. And he does interviews with about five, six people. And that's the whole movie. There's three women reporters, one of whom is wearing, as my wife said, oh, look, they got an airline hostess to interview him. She's wearing what looks like one of those Air Brunei hats, you know, the kind that are like a donut with a scarf on it or whatever. And then, and, and then there's two other women, one of whom is uh, uh, probably in her 40s, and then another one who's clearly a kid, like she's 21 and good looking with a you know, groovy hairdo. And all of the women are formidable. That was the one thing we noticed. These are all lady reporters from, and I say lady reporter because you would have said that then, not because I'm being a fucking dickwad. Well, why are you saying it now, Greg? Why don't you just impugn the whole LGBT community and fucking go out on a limb here? Um, the, uh, they're women and they had the job of, of doing entertainment reporting and it, and it was clearly we were all doing it for TV because where the Maisels put the camera, everyone would finish their interview with Marlon Brando and go, well, thank you for talking to us. We've been here with Marlon Brando. When we come back, there'll be a thing. They all did a throw. They all did throws, right? Which was fantastic. Then there was three or four guys. One guy wearing a check jacket, right? And he looked like such a fucking, what they would call in the old days, a flack, uh, right? Like a total PR dude, right? He had, the, he had a, a check jacket. They're smoking a cigar. He had a, he had a swifty kind of manner and shit. And then Marlon Brando goes, you have the longest fingernails I've ever seen. And he goes, I play classical guitar. <laughs> and I gotta keep them long so I can jim 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 you know and Jennifer's like there's a surprise and I said people were more accomplished then they didn't walk around douchely with nothing in their fucking belt they fucking had shit people could back you up with fucking languages playing music knowledge of shit people wander around now with their f- like I've got something that contains the sum total knowledge of the universe in my hand at all times and yet I'm unable to use it except for to talk about myself with my douchebag friends 
you have a phone that has everything in it, or we presume you have a phone. Maybe you don't, but uh, mostly you do. Uh, in any case, the, the women um, reporters, Brando flirted with, shamelessly isn't the word. Um, they should have served hot dogs, you know what I mean, and had penance for it and stuff. It was showy, you know? Like... She, one woman goes, well, you know, I'm this, about this picture. Well, how are you, what are your feelings about working with, um, you know, Yule Brenner, this, this, this. And he goes, well, you're so pretty. I can barely, you know, concentrate on that. Really? <laughs> really? Uh, and he is sexy. Oh, my God. He's really good looking in it. Uh, a little bit gray, like right there. And he's not, a, you know, he's not, in a st- he's like close to 40. It's, it was sensational. Uh, and it was w- well worth watching. So if you get a chance to see that by the Maisels, uh, not the Maisleys. And Albert was uh, fantastic and, and wore enormous spectacles that I believe a company was doing Albert Maisel glasses before he uh, uh, joined uh, the other realm uh, in New York. Uh, a small firm was doing Albert Maisel glasses because they're so authoritatively documentarian that they cannot be denied or gainsayed in any way. I mean, I won't have it. Uh, another correction. In the movie um, Give Me Shelter by the Maisels, the movie where you get to see uh, someone murdered on camera by the uh, uh, Hell's Angels. The man who was uh, done away with was Meredith Hunter. He was the one. I don't know what name I called him last week, but it wasn't right at all. I also called the mayor of Detroit Kwame Johnson. The one who's currently serving time is named Kwame Kilpatrick. Uh, so if there is a Kwame Johnson out there and you're a fan of the show, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you the felonious mayor of Detroit. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to make you cry. Uh, I'm just a stoned guy. Uh, the, the big news this week, of course, and, and starting with uh, today, because it's uh, March 25th. Well, we'll get to all the big news. But first, uh, Jeremy Clarkson is, um, how do I describe this? Uh, an asshat who has a show of enormous renown in, in the UK called Top Gear. And uh, we've talked about him before on the show. Our London listeners know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, he's a tall um, prat with a, a loose male perm, uh, kind of jolly with a leather jacket that's too short for how he looks. Uh, uh, he's got, if you'll pardon the expression, mom jeans and uh, deck shoes, and he's a sexist, misogynist, racist, unrepentant. Um, he's one of these dudes who thinks that being for war and insulting everyone racially makes him edgy and uncontainable, as opposed to an unavoidable fucking piece of fucking horror that TV provides every once in a while. You know, we had Morton Downey Jr. back in the day. You know, there's always these white guys who congratulate themselves on like, sure, I said Beaner. (laughs) Come and get me, PC police. Like, no, there are no PC police. It's called common human fucking decency. Um, You bilious white guy with one chromosome missing. Now, I can make fun of him because it's funny. Uh, and I, I've told the story about uh, seeing him in Sicily and whatnot. He didn't tip the bartender and I'll never forget him for that. And he brought a bunch of expensive cars to Sicily and then complained there was too much traffic in Palermo, which is like taking a bunch of expensive cars to Sicily and then complaining there's too much traffic in Palermo. Um, Palermo has traffic like Blade Runner has traffic. You know what I mean? Like, wow, there's a lot of fucking cars. People are on the sidewalk. You, you gas up on the sidewalk and then just shoot back into traffic. That's the funnest part of Palermo. Well, it's not the funnest part of Palermo, but it's a very good part of Palermo. That and invading it during World War II. 
Or if you were one of the Normans or one of the Byzantines or one of the Moors or one of the Phoenicians or one of the Romans or one of the Greeks uh, or the French. I'm, I'm probably forgetting a few countries that invaded Palermo. I think it might be the most invaded place in the history of mankind. Uh, so uh, Jeremy Clarkson was fired from his job at Top Gear, not because he dropped an N-bob last year and not because uh, he's been consistently racist over the years and sexist. He's wildly mis misogynistic. Every analogy he makes is like, uh, you know, it's like visiting your auntie. You know you're not going to go downstairs. You know, like everything's always, yes, we get it. Older women are unattractive and you're some sort of prize, even though you look like you were found in a jar in the Smithsonian. <laughs> in the diseased limb section where they've got the giant elephantiasis legs and the otter with four eyes. That's where your fucking head is found. Uh, Stuart Lee will be unbelievably delighted uh, today by this news. Stuart Lee's made a career, and quite right, out of uh, wank, uh, banking, banging on this guy. Anyway, he lost his job. Here's my prediction. First of all, there's a million people defending him on Twitter and all, and all over the media and in England and stuff, because as I said before, and I've said it many times and it never stops being true, no matter what a fucking asshole you are in this world, there's somebody who thinks you were cool. Um, as you know, there are people with pictures of Hitler on their walls and Charles Manson and shit like that, and they're like <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like this it's just never there's people who will defend W to the end as a great president I saw a tweet today that said how come all the democratic presidents in my lifetime have sucked Carter Clinton and right and you're like that's what sucked <laughs> Nixon Reagan Herbert Walker W that didn't suck to you it was Carter that harshed your mouth and Obama that's what really brought you the fuck down if only there had been more intractable right wing warmongering white guys who adore the rich beyond as if the Democrats have a fucking slivers worth of in any case <laughs> so there's people who love Clarkson you know? he doesn't let people push him around does he he fucking speaks his mind um, his mind is full of horror and despair his mind is full of what Ted Cruz's mind is full of narrow minded bigotry and a, 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 a pining and a, a an obsession to return to the Middle Ages, uh, the, like, say, the late 1400s, when you could really get things moving with thumbscrews and really putting down the poor and really venerating the rich and really conducting the wars the way they should be conducted against religious enemies. You know what I mean? The good old fucking days when there was still slavery and shackles and debtor's prison. That's what Ted Cruz's agenda is, uh, in case you think it's something else. Uh, you know, the mainstream media be like, oh, well, Tea Party darling Ted Cruz announced his candidacy today at White People University in what can only be described as a glorious... <laughs> um, by the way, the people at the university were forced to go see him. You, you were ordered, basically. To, you, it was a mandatory attendance uh, event. Evidently, I, everyone's talked about him, so I'm not going to. But suffice to say, if this is the first volley uh, that the Republican Party is throwing into the presidential election of 2016, and it's Ted Cruz, wow. <laughs> Barbara Streisand saying it's slow, and I think she did the right thing by doing it. And I'm going to do a little bit right now, because this is what every comedian is thinking. Happy days are here again. The skies above are clear again. Let us, everyone, uh, people who misunderstand comedy and have no sense of humor and uh, are white people who write for The New Yorker often write things like, 
Um, it must have been so easy to be a comic when W is president. It wasn't. It fucking wasn't. We've talked about it before on the show. It wasn't easy to be a comic ever during anyone's presidency. The first few years of Obama, I would make fun of Obama, and people in this town would clam up like a fucking crab's ass during high tide. I mean, just fucking watertight. Like... Uh, one of my jokes that I used to tell was um, voting for Obama was a profound experience. It was like helping that black friend you don't have. It was like going to Whole Foods and finding the perfect yogurt. Oh, this one's going to change my life. And the white crowds here would be like, fuck you, Greg. You wanted to vote for that old hag who's like a woman that makes me feel uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's what I got in 2000 fucking seven and eight and nine and ten. Uh, you weren't allowed to make fun. Now, you know, eventually everybody, the, the, it all breaks down. The tipping point or the turning point or whatever for W was obviously the mid the election against uh, Kerry. He, he basically lost that. And then Katrina happened after that. And then the brakes fucking came off. And then everybody got fired one after the next. The war went to shit. All of a sudden, uh, Rumsfeld's gone and Rove's gone. This is how these things work. The second term of Reagan was like watching the fucking Nuremberg trials because it was nothing but people being marched out of the White House frog style and right into a congressional hearing. There was hundreds of people in the Reagan administration who were tried, tried and indicted in that whole crowd. Um, Obama had Rahm Emanuel and other assorted suckers de shock uh, in his fucking administration. But there hasn't been a lot of people who've been fucking shackled and thrown to the ground. Uh, and that's what you get. If you have a Ted Cruz administration, uh, it's going to be like a Saturday Night Live sketch. The White House will be on fire and there'll be people running from it. I'm serious. If Ted Cruz is elected president, there's going to be like a, a, a spiked fence around Washington, D.C. Anyone who thinks they can solve the problems of America by not letting anyone else into America is a thoroughgoing pinhead. You have a pinhead credential that has a pin on it with an arrow pointing to the point of that pin. And that's where your head is. You have all of the wherewithal of a crustacean. First of all, he said he was going to take America back to Christian values. Um, fuck you is my first reaction to that. And secondly, um, the Christians that we see on TV are homophobic race. You don't want there to be gay marriage. You don't want the poor to have Obamacare and you want to lessen taxes on the rich. And that's what Jesus would have done. I think Jesus would, uh, as Woody Allen aptly said in the movie, Hannah and her sisters would never stop throwing up. I don't think Jesus could contain his last supper were he to come back and hear his name evoked by you. Brohame. It is Brohame, isn't it? <laughs> Are you sitting relaxedly? Okay, good. You looked poised and it was making me unsettled. <laughs> if you are going to the bar, or if anyone's going to the bar... Yeah, thank you, brother. I don't know who said that, but... Is that you gone? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. We're going to start the show, and when we do... Pow. <laughs> I want the boom, boom, pow. Those chickens jacking my style. Uh, James Whistler, it's, been, it's time to bring this one back, especially tonight, more than ever. Uh, James Whistler, as you know, famous artist, sued a critic in court for taking him out, for not doing enough painting on one of his paintings. And he said, it took me a lifetime, whatnot, to learn how to do what I did. Won his case against the critic in court, received uh, a, um, what would you call it? Not a peremptory, a, when, when, when something's lower than it ought to be, a nominal 
he received a nominal uh, win in the case and, w- and was given one pound damages. Uh, James Whistler used to go to parties with Oscar Wilde where they would compete to see who could be funnier. So it was like this show, but with less funny people. And the most famous quote of all being, uh, Whistler says to Oscar Wilde, I wish I said that. And Oscar Wilde, thank you so much. And Oscar Wilde said, you will, James. You will. Let's all just settle in. So, Are you going to bust that, are you? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're on the clock. Oh, that's why you settled in like that. Thank you very much. Of course you did. Thank you for busting that. Will you get me um, a quarter ounce of cocaine and uh, sausage pizza, please? In your time. I mean, you, you, not right this second. James Whistler said, uh, if other people are going to... And by the way, the painting of Whistler's mother is not called Whistler's mother. I think it's called A Study in Gray. Um, but it, I believe it is supposed to be his mother. And when you look at the copies of Whistler's mother, I don't even know where Whistler's mother is. Is that in the National Gallery or something? Anyone ever seen Whistler's mother? And I've seen, we've had the fortune to see, uh, um, uh, uh, oh golly, the Dutch painter. You know, he was played by Colin Firth in the movie and Scarlett Johansson wore a Vermeer. Uh, I would, all right, I had it. I had it. I had it. I had it. Did anyone see that fucking movie, The Girl with the Squirrel? Uh, earrings that was good Colin Firth is a wonderful actor in the King's Speech he's wonderful Uh, and uh, what's the one by Tom Ford uh, that's all about his clothes and his glasses and he's got this really hot car and he's gay and he's got this good looking boyfriend and then uh, Julianne Moore's kind of a pilled up drunk in it she's playing the Sharon Stone role something man single man he's quite good in that uh, then and Bridget Jones, he's fabulous in those. He's hilarious, Mr. Darcy. Uh, but then uh, there's a, this one where is it a Roman movie? There's like a there's like a, a period epic where he's got a toga on and he's just horrible in that. And um, and then of course the one we were just talking about that my, that escapes me as I've started in on. Does anyone remember the picture we? A girl with pearl earrings. The girl with the squirrel's earrings. <laughs> No one knows what Vermeer was like. I'm not just saying this. There's like no book about Vermeer. None of his contemporaries went, Vermeer, sit down and let's have a beer and uh, I'll fucking paint a thumbnail sketch of you for the ages. Uh, He has several canvases, maybe a couple dozen. I don't think there's that many. No one knows how he mixed his pigment. That's the big thrill of Vermeer. Because when you stand and you see a Vermeer, we saw one at the National Gallery, we see one in Ireland, I believe. From from across the room, Vermeer's paintings look like they're lit from within. It's extraordinary. And they're all the same topic. It's always a woman sitting in a room in a square with her feet on a box or a piano and a table. It's just a lot, you know, like these boxes and still lives. Occasionally it's a, a piece of scenery. And in any case, Colin Firth has decided that Vermeer was grumpy. And the reason he was grumpy was his wig was not well fitted. And he's wearing a jerkin because it's Dutchland in the 1600s. And he's got this kind of um, unsettling, you know, uh, like kind of an unhappy cat on his head. And it's sort of sideways. And so he comes into scenes and he goes, and then walks out of the scene. And you're like, was that what Vermeer was like? And then there's a scene where she finds all his pigment. And that's the most exciting scene in the movie. You're like, oh, that's how he fucking did it. There's pigment everywhere. And I'm not kidding. That's what the fucking movie's about. And then Scarlett Johansson's like a serving girl. But she's so comely and uh, keeps to herself. And she's so, she keeps such a quiet, you know, all the qualities uh, uh, 
that men desire in women, that they don't speak, that they're young and underage, and that they can't rot you out because they're from a lower class. Thank you, Ryan. Evidently, that was a little much for some of the people here, even though it was God's fucking truth. Uh, in any case, he kind of has an affair with her, I think, in the movie. I mean, when you make a movie about Vermeer, how do you end it? You know what I mean? Like, you can't have Vermeer have a gunfight like John Woo and jump out into the Herengrocht with fucking two, you know, pistols blazing. You can't have him join a pirate crew and end up on the Dutch main, you know, fighting the French or whatever in the 1600s. You can't have him go to the Moluccas and, and take slaves and become a rubber plantation owner, which are the options you faced as a Dutch person in those days. Uh, he could have started a dope bar, but he would have been 300 years early. Actually, he wouldn't with the amount of fucking drugs the Europeans made. The, well, James Whistler said, if other people are going to talk, conversation becomes impossible. And I find that to be true in this show quite a lot. That's why no one gets to say a goddamn word. Uh, Florence Kennedy, who passed away a couple of years ago, was a civil rights advocate who wore a pink cowboy hat and shades and was uh, a bad ambassador of the highest caliber. She fought and got money uh, for the estates of uh, a, a black artists. She uh, was the only black woman to graduate from her class at Columbia. She was refused entry uh, to the law school and she asked the dean, why, why is it because I'm black? And he went, no, it's because you're a woman. In any case, she, spent, she was one of the founders of NOW, the National Organization for Women. And as you know, this is Women's History Month uh, because uh, white people are we're generous. Let, let me tell you something about us. <laughs> Black people get February and women get slarch. And the rest of the time you can think about us. You know, you got your Dick Cheney and your... Right? General MacArthur? Think about it. It's been a pretty fucking sweet ride for a lot of people. Because of a lot of shit white people did. I mean, for one thing, we subdued the world with guns. <laughs> Was anybody going to fucking do that? No. Uh, we've made interlocking boards of directors control about a fucking half the population of the world's water supply. Isn't that cool with you? I mean, what does a white guy got to do to get some fucking credit around here? I mean, you fired Jeremy Clarkson just for dropping a few N-bombs and impugning every woman in the world. Where are my heroes? That's what I want to know. Like Pol Pot. George Lincoln Rockwell. Let's bring back the fucking... You know, the Civil War, the bummer about it was it had to end. There were so many good people fighting for so many good things. Uh, Florence Kennedy, who spelled her name F-L-O-R-Y-N-C-E, said, uh, and, and I bring this up because this is the, what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, it's, there's going to be a lot of boring and preachy. Really? It hasn't been funny so far. Don't you think you should make a line of demarcation like the Pope? <laughs> that there's this one area that's funny and then later an area that's perhaps a little more considered. Um, you make your own line. That's what you do. And speaking of lines, I asked for an eighth of Coke a while ago. <laughs> I know I said take your time, but this is WeHo. No, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he jumps up. Uh, does anyone have any Confederate money? 
Florence Kennedy said, because this is the era, and the last few weeks it hasn't escaped your notice, that um, untold violence has run amok around the world. Uh, not only was the terrible bombing of the Bardot Museum in Tunisia, uh, there was, uh, of course, uh, um, if you can believe this, the Yemen is coming to pieces and there's rubbles all over the capital in Aden. Uh, I mean, the, 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 what is it, the prince or whomever he is, the king, has taken refuge, and the Saudis are leading a military coalition in airstrikes against the Yemeni rebels right now. That that's the state the world is in right now. The Saudis, who have never led an airstrike against anyone ever except us, and it was called 9-11, all right? Uh, the Saudis, fucking, yeah, we may cut that out later, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's true and you know it. Uh... Uh, are, are actually using their military, the one that we pay for with all of our, our money and the one that we've been in cahoots with. They consulted deeply, by the way, with the administration before they formed their little coalition of Gulf states to go against the Yemenis. They can't have what they feel is a disruption of the flow uh, on their very own peninsula, right? The Yemen is at the very bottom. If this was Arabia, Saudis here, and then it's the Yemen and Oman like that at the bottom, uh, guarding what we would call uh, the straits uh, over here on one side and uh, on the other side as the um, uh, Gulf of Oman. And so, uh, right, the, uh, the Persian Gulf, if you want to call it that, or if you're not Persian, the Arabian Gulf, if you're Arabian. In any case, uh, uh, that and ISIS has uh, been going wild, of course, the Boko Haram. Uh, but more than that, in our own festive country, uh, there's been... a. Uh, unabated police shootings uh, of minorities going on consistently uh, since the uh, er, um, Michael Brown, since Eric Garner. Uh, it hasn't stopped at all. Uh, those markers were like Sandy Hook and, and the comprehensive ocean of violence that is uh, what the upper class is making their minions as the police do against everyone else in this country. And so these quotes seemed apt to me today. That and of course it's uh, Women's History Month because as you know women only tend to make history once for about 30 days a year and then they take a break for the other 11 months uh, because they're busy doing their makeup and putting lipstick on and having a period we're going to get further than that here we go uh, everybody's scared for their ass there aren't too many people ready to die for racism they'll kill for racism but they won't die for racism I thought that was wildly apt. Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Elizabeth Cady Stanton petitioned the United States government and went in front of Congress every year for decades to ask for the vote for women. She died before women got the vote, but she did this every year. She was imprisoned. She was beaten. Uh, she went on hunger strikes. She lived her own life. Elizabeth Cady Stanton is someone you need to know about. She said the prolong. She had quite a lot to say about religion too, in so much as she felt that all organized religion kept women in their place and was absolutely detrimental to anything women wanted to achieve as far as equality went in this world. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton said this: "The prolonged slavery of women is the darkest page in human history, and it carries on all the time. And uh, you can't tell me that it doesn't. And you can say that we've made progress in a thousand different ways. Obviously, we have. When the Boko Haram." runs wild when the teenage girl who won the Nobel Prize last year was shot in the face uh, by religious fanatics for wanting to get an education uh, when we know that there's an international slave trade in women when we know what we found out today on the front page of the LA Times and every other paper in the country nurses 
Nursing is a profession dominated by women and has been since the outset in this country of modern medicine. There are a certain percentage of male nurses working in this country, and it was revealed today that they are paid on the average $5,000 more a year than women nurses. So if you don't think that women endure prolonged slavery uh, 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 yourself, you are kidding. Uh, Voltaire. Voltaire was brought up uh, quite a lot uh, during the uh, attack on the satirists in France. And uh, there's a reason for that, because he was witty most. He had quite a lot to say about religion as well. He also mouthed off so much that he was forced to fuck off from France uh, or face the wrath of the royal family and uh, moved to England for quite a while, where people take satire with a little more grain. Of course, they were more than happy to have the funniest person in France hang around, uh, which is the good part of England. In any case, uh, Voltaire said this, we're, we're talking about war and the war that America makes and the war that other countries make on America's behalf and the war that we incite in other places and the war that we wage on the world and the war that we keep in perpetuity, this war on terror, the war on Islam, the war on bad people or whatever. What did George Bush say? Evil and evildoers. <laughs> um, the war on evil uh, that we're fighting is there, as Orwell said, to destroy resources and to make sure that we're all kept at a certain level. There is no other reason for it because we we, as people, have nothing against the people of Syria or Iraq or the Yemen or any of those countries. If you were smoking hash with a Yemeni rebel right now, you'd be like, he's fucking cool. I mean, if you were a woman, you might not think he was that cool. But the point is this. You know what I'm saying. Uh, Dr. Seuss said it best. A person's a person, no matter how small. And I think we find out with people like uh, uh, Ted Cruz and Jeremy Clarkson just how small people can be. Uh, some people are determined to, pr uh, to promote how small they are and to never let us forget how small they are. Uh, the cast of Duck Dynasty. Uh, there's so many places you could go to look for people who want to make themselves as small as possible. Voltaire said this, It is forbidden to kill, therefore all murderers are punished, unless they kill in large numbers into the sound of trumpets. Yeah, fucking A. Uh, we write, uh, we take letters, uh, fanmail4greg at gmail.com. I read all of them. I was reading them today. I do answer as many as I can. This is from Ava. Ava, right? Ava, not Eva. A-V-A. Dear Greg, I do hope you've had a lovely week and are going to have an even lovelier one next week. Why, thank you, Ava. How terribly polite of you. Your blanket for it must be most commodious. <laughs> I thought that you should know the impact that you're making with your podcast uh, why? Because you're educating a 14-year-old, excuse me, a 14-year-old white girl in New York who growing up had no idea of the struggles of the world, who probably never would have known the oppression of all minorities and women by the rich white people who are running the world as they see fit, who would have stayed in a bubble for her entire childhood and through all of her high school and maybe even college years until she was thrust into our unjust world of madness. I truly want to thank you for teaching me. Uh, this is the part that I don't like to say how great I am uh, unless I'm talking and I'm on mic. But... <laughs> This was the line I wanted to get to here. Because tonight's show, as I'm talking about going to the Turner Classic Film Festival this weekend, uh, they're going to be showing uh, black and white films. They're going to be showing a hand crank Melee's, uh, brother, uh, Melee's film from uh, the return of the century. They're going to be showing uh, films in Technicolor and whatnot. Uh, tonight's film uh, podcast is being broadcast in the miracle of self-aggrandizing, too. <laughs> It's a process I've been working on for a while now. Uh, it's where everything you say is about how great you are. And uh, I, I, would, I would say that I had narcissistic personality disorder, but that would indicate that I acknowledge there were other people. 
In order to be a narcissist, you have to focus on yourself to the exclusion of other people. But I don't see that there's other people to begin with. So excluding them isn't on the agenda. I truly want to thank you, Greg. Yes, Ava, more. For teaching me about the world, more about the world than school ever has. You were one of my, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And then because she's uh, a 14-year-old, she wrote, hello, TSA, exclamation point. Uh, do tell the government that they can't keep my entire generation in the dark forever. I thought that was very cute. Most people swear in her profane. She used an exclamation point. I'm giving her a pass. <laughs> She flattered me so wildly. The line that caught me uh, more than uh, about how great I am was the thought that she said, you've taught me more about the world than school. Well, 14 is what? Are you a freshman by then? You're around eighth grade, right? Ninth? You would be a freshman in high school by then? And no one and nothing in her life ever hipped her to the fact not news, not the world, nothing that penetrated Eva's uh, psyche, uh, nothing that got through to her uh, um, uh, intellect, uh, informed her that white evil people were running the world and that minorities were getting trod on and so were women. That's the kind of bubble that white people live in. I mean, for the people here who aren't white, you're like, yeah, Greg, uh, <laughs> this is as tired as the fucking horse that brought you here. <laughs> But you have to understand, a lot of people live in a Sean Hannity bubble that's flavored with Huckabee Flakes. And uh, they don't know that the world is the way. People say things over and over. Like, if you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean? They really do. They really do. Well, we don't need an affirmative action because everybody's on an equal. <laughs> women have all the rights and women are gold. You don't have to go far. Just go out on the street. You'll hear someone say it. Before the night is over, go to Astro Burger and just sit there for 20 minutes. <laughs> We really haven't given Astro Burger enough love. <laughs> it smells like cleanse in there a little much for me. The bathrooms are okay, but wow. <laughs> what were you doing in the bathroom? You know, just working the machines. Getting to know people. Uh, but that was what shocked me. Uh, school hasn't taught her, what did she say? Uh, oppression of all minorities and women by rich white people are running the world as they see fit. Now, I'm not saying that at 14. At 14, I was listening to Band on the Run by Paul McCartney and trying to figure out who Picasso was but, uh, because he did a song on it about Picasso. Yeah, but I, I did have some awareness of the world in so much as I watched TV and stuff and my parents occasionally told me things like there was a war. <laughs> uh, I knew what Vietnam was because it was on TV and stuff and we kind of knew that the Vietnam War was happening. But I'm always blown away, even when I meet people of my ancient vintage uh, and people from younger generations, that somehow the world happened and they never caught wind of it and nobody ever... I mean, I had a girl get up in Atlanta, what, two years ago and go, I'm 22, who was Ronald Reagan? And it doesn't make me think she was stupid. It makes me think her parents need to be put on a salt block and <laughs> tied uh, their ankles to the corners and sent out into the sun for hours until they reconsider their shitty country club existence and fucking impart some information to your children at one point. If you have children, I'm begging you to share some information with them before they embarrass themselves by reaching their majority and going out into the world and going, Dick Cheney did what? <laughs> you know, please, please make, make, make them know who Martin Luther King and Florence Kennedy and, you know, educate. 
as Mother Jones said. Uh, Kate writes, Dear Greg, while I've thoroughly enjoyed the recent conversations about Muntjacks, I've missed the wild boar stories. I thought you would appreciate this video of two ponies chasing away a wild boar, complete with French commentary. Greetings to the NSA. I hope you also enjoy the video. All the best, Kate. Kate, thank you for sending this to me. Of course, Jennifer hit this to me pretty early this morning. Uh, We were on this story from the moment it broke off the pony wire. I'm going to read you the headline. Uh, This is from The Independent in the UK. I just never get over the intro. What's happening? Turn it up for just a second. I love this part. Now I really need that eighth of Coke. Take it down a little bit here. Heroic ponies caught in dramatic video saving a Belgian couple from a charging wild boar. Heroic Ponies was the name of my first band when I was in seventh grade. We played a mixture of surf and, uh, you know, a lot of oldies. We'd go, do, 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 good night, sweetheart, and the kind of like that. Um, we took the name Heroic... We took the name Heroic Ponies because, as you know, of all animals, ponies perform the most acts of heroism. A lot of people would say it would be like a rescue dog, like a St. Bernard, or maybe you've seen, you've all seen pictures of uh, Newfoundlands or setters uh, swimming into the water and and grabbing a child by the nape of the neck and bringing them to shore and whatnot. Uh, We've also seen uh, German shepherds uh, go into a a, a machine gun nest and alert the allies that there's Japanese in there and that they, during the war, and uh, not just any time. But really, when you talk about bravery, ponies really take the cake. Because one, they're unwitting. They don't know what they're doing. They're ponies. They have the brain the size of a walnut. Horses are like stupider than mice, kind of. I don't know if stupider. Kind of can measure it with. Uh, There are rodents that are smarter than horses. I'm almost certain of that. Now, you can't ride a rodent without a lot of disgruntlement uh, on your part and the rodent. Rodents don't like it. People don't like it. When you ride a horse, you're like, wow, this is wild. I can feel its muscles flexing under my thighs. And then when you get off the horse, you're like, I've never been this sore in my life. I feel like I've been having sex with Marlon Brando during the 1966 interview show uh, because it's been ceaseless. Adam Withnall is the byline. A video that appears... Why are we so afraid of independent? When you're talking about heroic ponies, fucking state your case. What do you mean a video appears to show ponies chasing a fucking wild boar off? It does. I watched it today. I watched the ponies chase the boar off uh, to show two little ponies... Oh, as opposed to the gigantic ponies? That's great riding, Adam. Two enormous outsized ponies that were actually larger than any horse ought to be. That's why they're ponies, okay? It's like saying an enormous kitten. Now, mind you, if it was a snow leopard kitten, it would be the size of a house cat and would probably eat a house cat if it had a chance. And that's something I would pay for to see on TV. You know how they have the um, uh, Super Bowl every year? And on the Animal Planet uh, channel, they have the... What's it called? The dog? Puppy bowl. The puppy bowl. The puppy bowl. And they make puppies run around and pretend to play football and the puppies just run around willy-nilly. If you pitted jungle cats against domestic cats, think about it. 
Um, and the crowd's gone quiet. Greg, that would be cruel to animals. Really? But you're willing to laugh at a feral pig who did no one any harm, having the wit scared out of him by brave, heroic ponies. I guess Samuel L. Jackson was right. Personality goes a long way. That's got to be one charming motherfucking pig for you to fucking root for it. I don't even know if I can go on. I have never seen a crowd take an equine viewpoint the way you people are. I don't know what the porcine race did to you other than provide you with fucking cracklins and bacon and shit and make your life better. Nobody, nothing, nothing, nothing from you fucking people. Arnold Ziffel drove a car on a television show. I don't know what a pig's got to do for people around here to get some love. It's because ponies go and have little fucking, you know, Bon Jovi hair and whatnot. Um, saving, saving? Really? Was the wild boar going to kill the French people? I don't think it was. I mean, don't wild boars bluff, mostly? I'm In my experience, every time I've been around a wild boar, um, you know, they're like all in, and you're like, let's see them. And they've got nothing. They don't even have a pair. They don't even have bullets. Nothing. Saving a French-speaking couple. French-speaking? They're French people. It's in France. Jesus Christ, Adam. I told you not to bury the lead. You have facts at your disposal. Why not use them? The dramatic footage filmed by a couple on a country road believed to be in Belgium. Okay, they're Belgian. Obviously, they speak French. Well, oh, they could be a Flemish-speaking Belgian couple. No, they couldn't. Begins innocently enough with a view of the ponies across fields. Suddenly, the squeal of a boar rings out. And the tusked male rounds the corner, apparently distressed. Yeah, maybe you were walking in its fucking living room. Did you consider that, Belgian people? Maybe the boar lives there and you fucking don't. The wild boars were squealing on their way back from the fire. It's clearly written in the song. It seems to want to escape to another field, but then dart straight for the camera, causing a woman's voice to shout, "Je peur!" I'm frightened. And then the man to de- and, and then fantastically, it says in English, the, in French, and the man to declare colon quotes, "Oh la la!" exclamation point, and then in parentheses, "Oh la la." <laughs> We really are morons. Cretan. <laughs> As the camera work goes into disarray. Camera work? It's two fucking Belgians taking a walk with a phone and shit. Who do you think shot this? Renoir? What is this? A Maya Duran documentary on the Belgian countryside of shit? No, what are you? It's Truffaut's A Thousand Boars or whatever. Right? It's just jazz music playing and it's in black and white and there's some out of focus telephone wires and shit and then the boar comes running oh la la on the subtitles oh la la in my opinion the camera work went into disarray during this portion of the film I 
would have focused more on the fear in the Belgian couple rather than letting the camera fall to the ground as a giant tusked pig attacks them across the field. The view of the scene is restored. Two can be seen chasing uh, the ponies. Oh, uh, ponies can be heard approaching. Because that's the sound they make. They herald themselves with trumpets as they... They're still... You can watch it later, too, of course. You can go online. One and a half million people have viewed it. Don't go online. Don't be one of those people. (laughs) This is where the article takes a left turn that I don't know is altogether savory. More than one and a half million people have now viewed the video on YouTube and is encouraged... Encouraged? This is YouTube. The thing about YouTube is it's hideously democratic in so much as everyone can comment on it no matter how many blows they've taken to the head with a ball-peen hammer. No matter how ill-informed and majestically, savagely stupid they are. No matter how low their IQ is. No matter what inconceivable precepts they hold dear against race and sex and gender you're allowed to comment and then finally it'll be like comment removed after like a week or whatever Um, my favorite one of all time and I've said it on the show before it was uh, when Muammar Gaddafi had to address the United Nations there was a video of him and the first comment was who is this fucking guy There was a brilliant uh, one, uh, The Onion, at the first uh, Republican debate of the last election in 2012. It said, Republican debate garners one view on YouTube, right? (laughs) So it was a still of the YouTube of the Republicans on the dais debating, and the only comment was, this is gay. And has encouraged a furious debate. I'm going to read it like a British reporter because I think it makes it funner. More than one and a half million people have now viewed the video on YouTube. And it has encouraged a furious debate as to whether or not the ponies were really trying to save the couple. User El Padre says, We're really dignifying commenters on YouTube by printing their name in a British paper with a circulation of hundreds of thousands of individuals. Who the fuck is El Padre, okay? The dad, the father, fuck you, El Padre. I don't know that you're sitting in a robe with shower shoes on with your other hand on your genitalia while you're fucking typing this or that you're baking fucking uh, sweetbreads for the rest of your fucking convent or that you're actually uh, a monsignor at some sort of weird theological academy uh, lodged up in the hills of Portugal that's hewn out of living rock. I mean, who the fuck are you, El Padre? And how dare the independent print this kind of fucking specious, rat-ass bullshit? (laughs) User El Padre says, The ponies are our watchers. (laughs) To which, Kymag100 responds... (laughs) This is in a newspaper... Have we really sunk so low? I mean, I watch, I'll watch Ugly Cat. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not above it. When Hamster on a Piano was happening, I was there for it. 
I fucking watched it a lot. I love it. I still love it. I'll still go on it every once in a while and keep my hand in. Hamster on a piano. Hamster on a piano. It was fucking good. But I don't care what Kymag 100 says about the charging ponies subverting the boar's attack. It is they who protect us. Thank you, Ryan, for snorking. <laughs> Bo Skunk said, I'm going to have to stop reading this because it's making me fucking sick. Bo Skunk said, Remember this video next time somebody tells you that ponies are lame. <laughs> Mr. Skunk, it is Mr. Skunk, isn't it? I run in a rather rarefied, erudite, Illuminati-type crowd. When I eat at a place, there's always a sign on the wall that says, where the elite meet. Know this about me. Jennifer, uh, my wife and girlfriend, and I have erudite conversations on a dazzling variety of philosophical and uh, intellectual topics that I cannot begin to describe to you. I have a network of friends all over the known world and including parts of the mythical world where men have one giant foot and other people are born but with one eye. I've also been to the island where only women are and once a year they bring men in so they can mate with them and keep their species going. In all that time and in all those experiences and by the way my father was a horse player of some renown. What was the renown? That he never won a bet <laughs> in all the years he played horses. So I grew up at the goddamn racetrack watching what some people refer to as the ponies. Uh, the ones that race at uh, horse tracks aren't. They're thoroughbreds. And they're often highly drugged up. And that's why their legs split and everyone has to be shot. It's the last place you can go to see animals killed on the pitch if you're really into it. So it's kind of fun in that respect. My point is this. In all that time and in all the racetracks I've been to uh, and in all the uh, conversations I've had with the magnificent array and of dazzling uh, theatrical types and imaginative authors, artists, sculptors, uh, uh, and uh, sketch you know, um, uh, caricaturists uh, that I hang with, <laughs> shoemakers, uh, what did, what did Bob Dylan say? Some are mathematicians. Some are carpenters' wives. Um, I don't know any mathematicians, but if I did, I would let them hang with me. I met two physicists but two weeks ago. And in all that time, Bo Skunk, no one ever told me that ponies are lame. Not even when a pony pulled up lame in front of me did the trainer I was standing next to who was chewing a piece of sorghum and whittling a stick with a pen knife turn to me and went, that horse pulled up. Even he didn't see, say the word lame. No one has ever told anyone ponies are lame. Ponies aren't lame. They're delightful. They're hilarious, they're frisky, and they are invigorating. Next to puppies, they're probably the cutest thing that could happen. If you see a little pony and it goes... <laughs> and if you go to uh, England uh, and the island of Shetland, there's a whole race of, of horses that are this big that run around and just go... <laughs> all day long for your fucking delight. And they have long, shaggy hair, and sometimes they dress them up. 
Yeah, they fucking do. It's England. Of course they dress up animals. You know what they do to children? Beat them and put them in a shallow ditch or deny them food for weeks at a time or make them go to school and be bullied every day of their lives. That's what they do with children in England. With animals, they put them in a costume, take a picture of them, whatnot, feed them candy or sweets, rather. No one says ponies are lame, skunk. You've overemphasized your point. But Yuki Sora 60 said... It was rather surprising to see ponies protecting people, adding, I know that all animals are intelligent, but I've never seen horses chasing a beast like that! Exclamation point. My God, when I think of the comprehensive scope of Yuki Sora 60's experience, <laughs> and in all that time, she's never seen a pony chase a pig. Sweet. Maria, what the fuck is the world coming? I turned into Adam West all of a sudden. My God, Yuki Sora... That's where you're wrong. A pony will chase a pig. Uh, and then it just goes on and on to talk about the fucking people's opinion about the goddamn video as opposed to the actual. I would like to make love to you. Make love to you all night long. But first I must have a cigarette. I have a cigarette upon me. Oh, I hope a pig does not disturb us. Well, so far, there's no sign of pigs. Speaking of pigs... Shut your mouth, shut your mouth. Is that the sound of a pig I hear on the horizon? I'm afraid. Oh, j'ai eu peur. I'm afraid. T'as vu l'engin? Oh mon dieu. Oh, j'ai eu peur. My God. J'ai vu arriver sur toi. J'ai dit putain, je pourrais sortir le. Oh là là. Oh là là. C'est la première fois que j'en vois comme ça. I would like to buy a boatload of pineapples. Incroyable. Make love to me. I would, but there are not two other people here to form an atois. If there were two more people, it would be a katla. Well, there's the actual video exposed. Thank you for that. We, the show's almost over. My agenda's gone to shit. We'll be at the TCM uh, Movie Festival this weekend, uh, showing Adam's rib. It'll be good fun. It's on Saturday night. I wouldn't go, and here's why. They're showing the Melee Handcrake film at the same time, and what's the other one? There, um, Spike Lee also? Uh, the, the, the loved one. Oh, they're showing the loved one, and Robert Morris is going to speak beforehand. God, I want to see that. Robert Morris, um, as an actor who was in several pictures, obviously, including the loved one, uh, which has a superb cast: uh, Jonathan Winters, Bob Newhart, uh, Robert Morris. I, I'm forgetting people, um, but I don't remember it being very. 
peppy movie. Uh, in any case, it's an Evelyn Waugh novel, and it's about funeral directors, so you can understand where the humor is coming from. Um, but Robert Morris famously uh, performed a one-man show called uh, True on Broadway, where he uh, played Truman Capote quite successfully. But my favorite thing Robert Morris is in is called uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. It's an early 60s musical about making it in the corporate world and whatnot. And uh, Frank Lesser wrote the score, and the score is absolutely fucking sensational. And uh, Robert Morris Robert Morris is someone who, in a scene, will take someone and rub his head against their arm. That's the kind of hamminess that Robert Morris will do. And the best song in the movie... It is a song called I Believe in You it's the best song in the musical and he sings it to himself and that's what makes it so fucking awesome you, why do you like it so much Greg well I think up till now you've got where I've coming from tonight yeah. now there you are um, yeah <clears throat> in any case uh, we'll be there then coming up let's see Boston uh, the 9th through the 11th of April oh first of all we're going to be showing Raising Arizona at the Cine Family at the Greg Poop Film Club on April 4th. Uh, I think I've got the date wrong. It's 6th. It's April 6th, I'm almost certain. Uh, the 4th is a Saturday. We're going to show it on a Tuesday, I think. Anyway, it's April 6th. That'll be uh, at the Cine Family right here in Los Angeles. Raising Arizona is a wonderful comedy uh, from 1984 by uh, Joel and Ethan Cohn, starring Nicolas Cage. And this is before Nicolas Cage was Nicolas Cage. He's only nascent Nicolas Cage in this. This is right off of the Valley Girl period. Uh, and he's absolutely fucking majestic in this movie. And uh, it's well worth a view. And it's well worth seeing in a theater because it's hysterically funny. The Cohen brothers are always worth a view. Well, the lady killers. Um, not so fucking hot, that one. Then we'll be in Boston at Laughs on the 9th through the 11th. The 9th will be the podcast, in case you're wondering. The, on uh, 423 through 425 in April, we'll be at the Comedy Works in Donvier. Uh, the podcast will be on the 23rd. And then you can meet me at uh, my brother's bar where we will be having hamburgers. In May, we're going to be all over the goddamn universe. <clears throat> Excuse me. My book comes out May 5th. It's called The Smartest Book in the World. <clears throat> We're starting it off in uh, New York on May 5th at the Strand Bookstore. John Fugelsang and I uh, will be doing a little number there. And then on the 7th at the, uh, the Bell House in Brooklyn. And then on and on after that. If you go to gregproofs.com and go right below where all the dates are posted, uh, there's a little thing that has all the book tour jazz in it. And I invite you to pre-order the book if you wish. Um, because... Aces of cocaine are not cheap, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, here we go. Nicole, uh, who goes by Justice Mac on Twitter, uh, reminded me that today is Gloria Steinem's birthday, and since it's Women's History Month, um, <laughs> there was an article she sent me from Yahoo. Um, in any case, I'm going to read part of it anyway. And it was called Eight Ways Gloria Steinem Improved Our Lives. Uh, second wave feminist activist and writer Gloria Steinem turns 81 today and she's so much more than a pretty face they always said that because the problem with uh, not the problem the situation with Gloria Steinem was always that she was really great looking she's a great looking uh, lady and very well spoken indeed and of course uh, intrinsic and uh, immortal in uh, the fight for women's civil rights in this country uh, but when she was first a feminist, of course, it was always, oh, well, you're too pretty to be a feminist. All feminists are ugly. <laughs> you know, the kind of shit that Jeremy Clarkson and Ted Cruz uh, want you to believe today. That kind of shit. Uh, as we talked about the slavery woman. Steinem was able instantly to create a bridge when she revealed simply by appearing that one did not to be... A <laughs> I love this. 
this is this is uh, that one did not need to be a man-hating or shrill the media presentation of a feminist to be a feminist through a combination of beauty and power uh, though a combination of beauty and power threatened men it reassured women Steinem repeatedly faced comments from male reporters about her stunning looks in spite of her feminism. To one man, she responded, well, I should comment on your appearance, but I don't have the time. (laughs) Precisely. Uh, The New York Times published an uh, op-ed to honor her, uh, and it was about what she looked like. In any case... uh, she wrote a, a piece as a student, uh, The Student Princess or How to Seize Power on the Campus of Your Choice. She went undercover as a bunny and wrote uh, an article called A Bunny's Tale about that. She co-founded Ms. Magazine in 1971. Um, she wrote an essay in 1978 in Ms. called If Men Could Menstruate. Uh, and I believe there was a longer quote that goes with that. And they'd be talking about how long, uh, the, how long it went and how big the flow was. Oh, yeah, she fucking did. <laughs> Ms. Magazine also put a battered woman on their cover in the 70s. And People made fun of Ms. constantly, of course, because women started it. She co-founded Take Our Daughters to Work Day in 1992. In 2003, the program was officially expanded to include boys. But even before the official name changed to Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work, it was meant to provide boys and girls with opportunities to explore careers and dreams at an age when gender roles are more fluid. In 71, she was one of 300 female activists who founded the National Women's Political Caucus. She made feminism accessible to a generation of women who'd grown up in the post-50s. She's spoken and written about growing up with a mentally invalid mother uh, who was incapable of taking care of herself and was consistently neglected by doctors who were apathetic to the health needs of women. The health needs of women and the slavery of women is the topic of America, is the topic of tonight's show, is the essence of what I've said time and time again on the show, which is once we make women equal in this country, once women are recognized as equal, and once women's health care is taken out of this bullshit, Christian, fucking nonsensical, mythical ghetto of it's for their own good and we're protecting babies and all the other nonsense that goes along with it, uh, then the world will fall in line. When women are no longer treated as slaves when women are no longer subjugated when they're no longer second and third and fourth and fifth and slave class citizens then that's what happens in the world the world gets better than the world is easy to fucking change uh, it's not a long hard slog because of the dominant paradigm that keeps us from doing anything and da, 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 da. you can do it every day on an individual basis by trying to make everything better this uh, Jennifer gave me as she gives me so many things it's from the Times Picayune which is the New Orleans newspaper concrete pouring began at 6 a.m. Monday, March 23rd at the site of Planned Parenthood's new clinic on South Claiborne Avenue after months of delays. Would you like to know what the delays were? I think you can guess what the delays were. Um, The government and the white people and the men that run the fucking government around New Orleans didn't want to have this Planned Parenthood clinic there because it would be an abortion mill, which it isn't. This one isn't being allowed to perform abortions. So therefore, what is it? Well, it's a place where women will seek health care because that's what Planned Parenthood does. And by the way, getting an abortion is safer than having a baby. So I don't want to hear about that. And um, women's health care includes abortions. As I've said a million times on the show, abortion is a part of women's lives. Even if you don't perform one, women sometimes abort themselves. To say that it's unnatural, to say that it's an act of murder, to say that it's a threat of violence by women against uh, something that have no power over them is all specious, fallacious, and absolutely male-centric, misogynistic fucking claptrap bullshit that needs to stop in an instant. Now, 
Uh, Planned Parenthood obtained a permit, blah, blah, blah. Months of delays. Uh, the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals has denied the group's application to provide abortions. Planned Parenthood is appealing that decision and moving forward with work. Louisiana has five abortion clinics. Louisiana has millions of people and one of the most backwards governors in the entire United States, Bobby Jindal. They're in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Metairie, Shreveport, and Bazier City. A Planned Parenthood needs assessment from 2010 showed the number of women who accessed abortion services in the 11 parish New Orleans region was 2,844 less than what could have been anticipated based on rates in similar communities. Louisiana, I'm not going to say the name of their organization because I think it's fucking nonsense. They're not right to anything, and life has nothing to do with what they're about. Anti-choice, people. Executive Director Benjamin Clapper, what an apt name, (laughs) sent out a statement to media Monday decrying the construction work. This concrete will be the foundation for building a strategically designed to stop the heartbeats of 2,844 babies every year in our city. Really? That's what it's there for? Not to give women some peace of mind? Not to give women some autonomy in their own life? Not to give women agency over their own bodies? To be able to have a baby if they want to or not have a baby if they want to? Because maybe their economic circumstances or the situation they found them in dictate that they don't want or need a baby at that point? And that you, Mr. Benjamin Clapper, who are ugly and do not possess a uterus? Oh, wait a minute. I don't know what you look like. Uh, have uh, some sort of say in their life. Archbishop Gregory Amond has decried the construction, a grave evil opposed by the Catholic Church. B, 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 B. We wish those women and men and the brave people at that clinic every luck, and we wish them every luck with being able to perform abortions safely and sanely there so that the women of New Orleans don't have to perform illegal abortions that endanger their lives. Because when you ban abortion, that's what happens. It doesn't save babies. It kills women. The U.S. Supreme Court refuses to hear the appeal upholds Wisconsin's strict voter ID law. Um, This is from a site called something. I saw it on a Tumblr first. It's Keith Breckus is the byline. B-R-E-K-H-U-S. I think it's on talking points memo, one of the lefty sites. Uh, Monday, the US, U.S. Supreme Court rejected a challenge to a Wisconsin photo identification law passed in 2011. We've talked a lot about it on the show. The reason why there's any voter regulation laws is to keep the poor and the disenfranchised students, women and old people from voting and minorities. That's who uh, voter registration laws are aimed at. There is no voter fraud in this country uh, at all, really, to speak of. There's less voter fraud than there are fucking three-headed babies marching down the street with a propeller in their ass dropping fucking candy canes on you. That's how many fucking voter fraud cases there are a year. Monday's ruling clears the way for Wisconsin to impose a photo ID requirement on voters. 30 U.S. states have photo ID laws in place. This is the scandal of our time. The Voting Rights Act would have never had this. Lyndon Baines Johnson would have never understood this. Martin Luther King did not die for this. No one died for this. This is fucking nonsense and bullshit. The first thing that needs to be done is to oust everyone and oppose all voter ID laws strenuously. No, it doesn't happen. Your argument sucks balls. Uh, uh, An Indiana Supreme Court upheld an ID law in 2008, and that's when this fucking landslide started. Here we go. 
It lacks consistency, the new Wisconsin law. For example, overseas military ballots are accepted without any ID because we love our troops, except when they come home and they're homeless and are mentally ill or they're women because that's the largest growing group of homeless people in the United States are women veterans. Then we don't care about them at all. But their vote for a potentially conservative candidate is something we have to protect with every fiber of our being. By contrast, students using a university ID must not only bring their photo ID, but provide additional paperwork demonstrating proof of current enrollment. Voter ID laws may seem well-intentioned. They do not. Only a Pollyanna idiot who looks at everything on the surface and has no grasp of what's going on in the goddamn world would perceive a voter ID law as anything but what it is, which is malignant fucking racism and exclusionism. But their real purpose is not to eliminate the largely imaginary problem of voter fraud. Instead, they're designed to make it more difficult to vote. Specifically, Republicans like to pass voter ID laws that make it difficult for Democratic-leaning voters to cast a ballot. Voter ID laws are a solution to a non-existent problem. And here's the fact I wanted you to hear. The ratio of in one case of in-person voting fraud for every... The ratio is in one case in-person voting fraud for every 14.6 million registered voters. So why are there 30 states with these laws? Judge Richard Posner, a Ronald Reagan appointee on the Seventh Circuit Court, made this clear. He wrote a dissent last year, and this is what he wrote. There's only one motivation for imposing burdens on voting that are ostensibly designed to discourage voter impersonation fraud if there is no actual danger of such fraud, and that is to discourage voting by persons likely to vote against the party responsible for imposing the burdens. He chastised fellow justices, and this is the best part of his uh, opinion. If the Wisconsin legislature says witches are a problem, shall Wisconsin courts be permitted to conduct witch trials? He fucking wrote that in his dissent. Because that's how imaginary voter fraud is. Let that be the end of it. LAPD shot mentally ill black man at close range, says autopsy report. This is um, from KCBS. Jennifer gave me this as well. Ezel Ford, as you know, uh, was shot by the LAPD. He was not all compass mentis. His mind wasn't there. The autopsy shows he was hit three times at close range. Two fatal shots in his right side and back. Third struck in his arm. The officer's struggle. The officer's account of a violent struggle where one officer ended up on his back with Mr. Ford on top of him with Mr. Ford in control of his pistol, said L.A. Police Chief Charles Beck. The officer drew back his up gun and reached over Mr. Ford's back and shot Mr. Ford in very close proximity. He was described by his family as bipolar and schizophrenic. A witness, Ashanti Harrison, contradicts the police description of a struggle. He put his hands up like that and they wrestled him to the ground. A shot went off and then they shot him again. And then another two seconds later, they shot him again. Ford's family's filed a $75 million wrongful death suit against the LAPD. The suit claims the police officers were familiar with Ford and aware he was mentally ill. They did know him. This is from The Guardian. Jennifer gave me this as well. Another black teen killed by Cleveland police as mother asks why what happened to 18-year-old Brandon Jones was shot dead by the police force found by a government to be chaotic and excessive. You may remember the Ferguson report came out several weeks ago, which indicated that the Ferguson Police Department has been running a little private money-making operation off the poor people in their town. That means the black people in their town by fining them, by sending them to jail, by hitting them with extortionate measures, by focusing on them almost solely uh, for all the fines that were going to uh, fund their small government there. Uh, the Cleveland Police Department has been notoriously racist for years. 
and uh, there was a report that came out several uh, weeks ago uh, that actually addressed this issue. The police department has provided few details about the shooting. The officers who have not been identified were placed on three-day administrative leave. The officers are always protected, you notice. We're li- <coughs> Cleveland's still reeling from the police killings of unarmed 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was fatally shot in November, and we've all seen that video. He had a toy gun. The, sh- the cops shot him down. They didn't really warn him. They got out of their car, and they just started shooting. We all saw it. Uh, unarmed 37-year-old Tanisha Anderson, who died earlier that month in November as well, after being physically restrained during a mental health episode. As you can see, a lot of these people are mentally ill or children, and the cops shoot them down. In December... The Justice Department released a damning investigation into the Cleveland Police Department, quote, excessive and unreasonable force in hundreds of cases between 2010 and 2013. Don't ask why people are protesting. Join them. Don't ask why people are out in the street uh, protesting against the police. Don't worry about the police. The police are going to be fine. There's lots of them and they're well funded by the government. You know, I'm not here to impugn every policeman and I won't hear or police person. I won't hear that argument. It's it's a specious, fallacious argument and it backs common sense into the corner. And oh, you mean, well, not every police is not everyone is everyone of everything is everyone of anything. This is consistent systematic, horrible abuse that's going on for year after year after year in this country, decade after decade, century after century. And it's time that it be addressed, like the shooting of children by crazy white men with guns, something that also needs to be addressed in this country. Um, Checks and balances are easy to enforce and put into play. It only requires the strength of character to fucking do it. And someone like Ted Cruz is not going to do it. Uh, Someone like Obama is not doing it, quite frankly. Um, He could have showed a little more cojones and cared a little more about the people of the United States by protecting the weak and uh, the unarmed and the mentally ill from the forces that be at the behest of the rich who are having them shot. Atlanta police shooting victim trend to a life that mattered. These are just three stories from this week, you guys, uh, all of which are taking place currently. March 9th, Monday afternoon, a DeKalb police officer, Robert Olson, arrived responding to a 9-11 call. Um, This guy was a veteran in Afghanistan and was completely disturbed. 99 of 100 officers were on the streets killing black men like hunting season. That was what he wrote. Um, Mr. Hill had been trying, like many other Americans, to make sense of the complex questions of race. In any case, that goes on and on. And and it can't stop. And uh, we have to be mindful of it at all times. Like the complete economic fight against the rich, like women's uh, fight and struggle for civil rights, you cannot forget uh, that black people and minorities in this country are victimized by the police at all times and that that's something that can't stop being discussed. You know what doesn't need to be discussed? Um, Hillary's fucking emails, um, whether rich people should have tax breaks, um, things like that, whether we should go drop more bombs on another country and shit. That's going to happen anyway because rich people want it to fucking happen. ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, sues the TSA to make it explain junk science behavioral detection program. 
Jennifer, give me this one, too. The TSA refuses to explain how it spent $1 billion on a discredited behavioral detection program that led airport authoritarians to believe when they racially profiled flyers, it was because they'd acquired the superpower of spotting guilty people through their micro expressions. (laughs) Government investigators have criticized SPOT, that was the name of the program, as unscientific and wasteful. They thought if they filmed people, people would go like this and they'd be like, See that Mexican guy raise his eyebrow? I think he's an Arab. Government and uh, program cost a billion dollars since 2007 and blamed by passengers and TSA officers themselves for numerous cases of racial profiling. If we have spent a billion dollars, and as I spoke earlier a couple of weeks ago, if we spent over, what is it, $1.5 trillion on security, why do I have to take my shoes off? Why is there one line that's TSA pre where you don't take your shoes off and you get to walk right through? And why is there another line where you have to raise your hands over your head in submission to the government while they take a picture of your genitalia? Um, I'm very serious about that when I say it. Them making you take a naked picture of your children and your wives and sisters and brothers is a gross and hideous violation of everything this country's about. And it's done for two reasons. One, because we are sheep and to keep us in submission. And two, so that the powers can be can run a little charade and some theatrics on us to make us think they're doing something for our own good, which they are not doing. They're spending a a billion dollars If you spend a billion dollars on something else, for instance, now I know the world doesn't work that way and it's naive for me to even say it. It's like saying, well, if they didn't spend money on bombs, we can all have uh, s'mores and Rice Krispie treats. But if they didn't spend a billion dollars, the TSA, and you disbanded the TSA, which almost happened accidentally a few weeks ago by the Republicans, if you disbanded the TSA because it's useless and gave the billion dollars to people to eat and educate themselves, for instance, we live in L.A., Every single one of us in this room and every single person listening in L.A. and every single person listening in the United States and every people, everybody, every single person listening in Europe, the first world, wherever you are, there's homeless people out in front of where you are. In America, it's scandalous, scandalous. And if you want to see lots of homeless people, you can go downtown and watch them run around in groups like in a futuristic fucking horror movie. And... The idea that women and children are left to starve and not have health care and shit while we're spending a billion dollars to trace people's microexpressions. And there's no terrorist threat. Have you seen any terror happen in an airport in America on a plane? Talk about over-fucking-funded. It is an overfunded program. Uh, let's see here. The last clinic standing in Mississippi. There's one place left uh, performing abortions in Mississippi. I'm not going to read the article. We have a couple of people to talk about. Oh, and it's, then, it's, then it's go time, my ladies. I wanted to give you their uh, website in case you wanted to go on and look for yourself. A lot of brave women and men are manning this last abortion clinic in Mississippi. Five in the state of Louisiana, one in Mississippi. These are states with millions of people and more importantly, millions of poor people because these are who these laws hurt. Anyone rich can afford any medical procedure they want at any time. That has to be something that you're aware of, even if you're a 14 year old in a blanket fort in upstate New York. Rich people always get abortions. Rich people always get any pills they want. Rich people get all the drugs they want. Uh, rich people get any kind of medical procedure they want because they can afford it. It's everyone else who's left to scrabble. It's called wakeupmississippi.org. 
I was going to spell Mississippi, but it seemed a little superfluous. Uh, Operation Save America has come to Mississippi to harass our staff and our parents, our patients. Um, Save America is the name they gave themselves, and they harass women on the way to the last abortion clinic in Mississippi. Is that saving America, or is it just proving that you're as cold-hearted as a fucking Aztec priest? Uh, California-based group Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust is another group that's hassling them. Just know these names. We're used to the yelling and shaming these groups ring with them. We'll be adding barbed wire to the roof, slowly morphing into a fortress. That's what they're being forced to do. By the way, no one hassles these groups, this uh, California Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust and Operation Save America, how about shaming them? You know what I mean? And I don't mean in the same tactics they use because they're idiots. But I mean, you've seen it online, I'm sure, the humorous uh, tactics people use with these people. Um, you, you, uh, in any case, it's called the Pink House. And uh, once again, it's at wakeupmississippi.org. You can send them money. You can help them. You can send them letters of support. You can write on their behalf. Uh, my mother was from Mississippi and a good deal of my family comes from Mississippi. And it is an amazingly weird place, I can assure you. Um, a place of vast culture where you'll find lots of intelligent people and an unbelievable history of literature uh, that's almost unassailable. At the same time, it's irretrievably backward in about a billion ways. And they're very, 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 very comfortable with the notion of Confederate flags and poverty. If you're reading this page, you're probably aware our clinic could be closed. We'll move on from there. Ah, here we are. Um, Sam Simon is swirling in the heavens. Sam Simon uh, was a friend of ours. He was a very good friend of Drew Carey's. Uh, he was a very funny uh, man. Um, he'd been suffering the last couple of years of cancer. More importantly than anything else Sam Simon did, uh, although he was a very witty person and uh, a collector of art, uh, a collector of architecture, and an intelligent and informed man who had a hand in some of your favorite shows, including The Simpsons and Cheers and whatnot, he was a philanthropist of the highest order. And he gave away lots of money anyway. He was an animal rights activist. But finding out that he had cancer, he gave away hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, a superb fortune. What he did was fantastic. Uh, he left the fourth Simpsons after the fourth season in a lucrative arrangement that allowed him to spend much of his rest of his life giving his money away. Uh, so don't let me limit it to when he had cancer. He was always a philanthropist. If I, if I even said that, I misspoke. Mr. Simon helped populate Springfield, the uh, fictional town where the Simpsons live with a range of characters. He insisted the show be created using conventional sitcom techniques, like having the writers work collectively. He had the voice actors read their parts as an ensemble, with the goal of giving the show more lifelike rhythm and timing. He hired many of the show's first writers, a number of whom gave him credit for informing its multi-layered sensibility, one that skewers pieties with anarchic humor and sometimes vulgarity while celebrating family and community, something we all aspire to as satirists. If you leave out Sam Simon, you're telling the managed version, John VD, one of the show's first writers, told the Times in 2001, he was the guy we wrote for. Jay Kogan, a former producer of The Simpsons, told the Times Mr. Simon, quote, knew the freedom that animation provides and utilized it to the full extent. 
let's see here. Mr. Simon's work on the show is remembered for the way it ended, blah, blah, blah. They broke up after four seasons. But it was not an amicable split. It was an extraordinarily profitable uh, for Mr. Simon. He retained executive producer, was given royalties from f- home video sales. It made Mr. Simon wealthy long after he was no longer directly involved in the show. Tens of millions, he said. He angered Mr. Groening early on expressing skepticism, but later he emphasized how fortunate he was to have been part of it. He told Matt Groening the show wasn't going to last. And then it went on for every a million years. Not that he caught every episode. And this is my favorite, one of my favorite things he said. If I had to watch it to cash my checks, I would. <laughs> Sam Simon said a couple of other things. He was married uh, twice, once to a Playboy playmate. That marriage lasted a week, maybe? And when he broke up with her, he said, where am I going to find another gold-digging bimbo in this town? (laughs) One of the other things he said was when the Boston Archdiocese got busted several years ago and the priests were found to have been horribly molesting all the boys, Drew Carey was performing at an event and he gave Drew this line, a word to the Catholic Church, any publicity is good publicity. Mr. Simon put his money toward his passions. He started a foundation that trained dogs to help disabled people, including veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, generously to the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society and PETA. Among other groups, uh, uh, the PETA's headquarters in Norfolk, Virginia, was called the Sam Simon Center. After he learned he had cancer, and this is what makes him even more beautiful than he was when, when he didn't have cancer, Nearly all his Simpsons royalties to charity. I've given most of it away when asked about his wealth. Uh, I won't be rich again until we get our quarterly installment from the Simpsons. He grew up in a kind of a L.A. family. He was going to play football in L.A. at Stanford and whatnot, but he became an artist. And um, I did a gig with him once in Minneapolis years ago. Um, there was a cat named John. There is a cat named John Ford who did a show called Mental Engineering. And what the show was was they would show television commercials, and then a panel would break down what the message of those commercials were. It was a fascinating show because no one does it. They would show television commercials, and then we would all sit around and talk about what they were trying to say, what the subtle subliminal messages were, how the intention of the commercial didn't match the execution of the commercial. And Sam was on the show with me. And I remember thinking, hi, Sam. And and we went out after. He came to my show. Uh, I was playing at the Acme in Minneapolis. We got drunk. Uh, He sat at the bar, and he was smoking a cigar. And uh, people were coming over to him and asking him to draw Homer. And he was a great artist, and he'd draw Homer, and he'd write Calabunga and shit on it. And he was an expert on sports and art and a very interesting man. And we talked about boxing all night and uh, 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 sports and whatnot. And... I said to John, it was a very low budget, uh, and uh, or it was a you know, you know modest budget, like NPR or, or PBS rather type show that was shot in a, a little PBS studio in St. Paul that had, and it's the only time I've ever seen this, uh, uh, no camera people, a camera uh, that was like on a wheel that went around us, that was a robot camera, but in a, in a complete wheel, like an Oliver Stone film, like we were. And um, John Ford, who's still the producer of the show, and I saw several years ago, said to me, Sam Simon, 
gave me hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this show because he thinks it's an important show. And it played on lots of PBS stations around the country. But Sam never said it to me. And I, and I never asked him about it. But John Ford told me that Sam Simon gave him the money, basically, to put this show on, which was an indictment of what advertising is, which is a horrible violation of all of our sensibilities and an intrusion into our psyches. As you know, you're hit with, what is it, 3,000, 5,000 ads a day between your phone and whatever, the TV, you're driving around, blah, 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 walking around. Um, advertising is an odious, hideous, horrible part of our lives that doesn't uh, create joy or, or do anything except make us all more acquisitive and, and feel insecure. Uh, unless you're fucking, uh, you know, thin and great looking, then you should really feel good about yourself. Um, <laughs> thank you for laughing at that, Lou. Uh, uh, in any case, uh, he, he funded that show. So that was another thing about Sam that no one would tell you, but that I will. And one of the ads had chimps on it. And oh my God, you should have heard him go the fuck off on that fucking ad. Because he was like, um, anytime you see animals, higher primates like chimps in an ad, know that they're beaten with a rod and kept in cages like he fucking laid the law down on all those funny ads where there's a chimp dressed in a suit and it comes in the thing and he's like these ads aren't funny at all you should understand how cruel they are Ask, uh, let's see his Sam Simon Foundation started a low uh, a program that provide low income families with free vegan meals he also uh, um, the Sea Shepherd Society opposes whale hunting name one of their boats for him Asked whether he was imposing his own vegan diet on those his charity served, Mr. Simon said, they can eat all the meat they want. I'm just not going to pay for it. Uh, Sam Simon is so swirling in the heavens. On his coffin was a gigantic um, Homer Simpson. And it said on it... Um, the, Drew sent me a picture. Ah, I can't get my phone to fucking work. Jennifer, what did it say on the... It was Bart, and it said later, dude. That's right. It's Bart. Uh, on, his, on his coffin was a giant Bart in flowers and a bubble coming out of Bart that said, later, dude. Uh, and that was Sam, Sim, uh, Sam Simon in a nutshell. He was a, a really um, extraordinary person to meet in show business down here because... He grew up in kind of, a, as I say, a Southern California family and had been in show business a long time and had success in a lot of areas. But philanthropy, generosity, generosity of spirit and um, that kind of abject giving away of millions of dollars of a fortune is not something you find in every show business person down here. I suggest to you that it was his uh, catholicity of spirit and his uh, joie de vivre and his generosity of heart uh, that made him a unique and irreplaceable part uh, of show business down here more than anything else. Um, if I said to you, you were going to uh, start a show and you were going to receive tens of millions of dollars from it every year and you turned around to me and went, I'm going to give all that money away, um, I would be impressed. 
I would be impressed and delighted uh, that you were giving it to the poor and to veterans and to help animals uh, not uh, face cruelty and stuff like that. And, and that's the note I would like to end on tonight. I want to thank all of you for coming out here tonight. I want to thank Sam Simon uh, for being in this world and being as generous as he was. Uh, I've been the smartest man in the world. You've been the smartest crown in the world. Uh, may every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but love. Thank you very much and good night. We'll see you.